Now, um, uh, of course, God's word is never politically correct. He's not concerned about these matters, is he? He calls truth to truth and a lie a lie. And so, uh, yeah, so the, the disclaimer is, uh, well, really no disclaimer. The warning is it will not be politically correct. Sometimes you don't hear things like this from the pulpit anymore. Sometimes you hear uh, people be very coy and aloof in what they're saying, um, but I will not be uh, aloof tonight. I will not be coy. Um, and uh, so, it's a serious message. Three verses. Um, I've never preached these verses, but these are powerful verses. And they're so needed. They're so needed in the church today. So, there's your warning. Satan loves religion. That's probably a shock to some people. Some people wouldn't, wouldn't think about it like that, but you would most likely not know much about your Bible if you didn't understand that Satan loves religion. He loves them because he created them. He creates all religion. Uh, I have no doubt that it's his greatest source of entertainment is to sit around and figure out what stupid things he can get men to believe. And if we know our history, we know that men love to believe stupid things. Um, down through the ages, Satan has been successful in getting men to believe and worship almost anything from bugs to stars and everything in between. Men have bowed down to these kinds of things. It's just a historical fact. Men will worship just about anything or nothing. Satan has some men believing that everyone is part of God. Like drops in an ocean. You can just keep reincarnating up the food chain until you're absorbed into the universal spirit. Satan has some men believing that the key to life is to, is to achieve enlightened consciousness. Eliminating all desire. It usually involves a little golden fat guy. That uh, Satan has some men believing that jihad is the way to go and celestial virgins are the payoff. Satan has some believing uh, that men can ultimately become gods and rule over their own planet. Satan has some men believing that you need to become a, a Thetan. I don't know what a Thetan is, but yeah, Tom Cruise knows about that. Satan has some men believing uh, in an atheistic naturalism. You know that we're just simply grown-up germs and, and the only thing we have to look forward to is to become fertilizer. So Satan has, has a lot of people in our era believing that stupidity. And I know it's not politically correct to talk like this. I know we're all supposed to smile and we're supposed to get along and we're supposed to say affirming things like all religions are really just the same. They're just different pathways to the same God. I know that that's the politically correct stance to take. But when I hear people talking nonsense like that, I always have to defer to Ravi Zacharias. 
Now I'm going to read you a quote. It's a, it's a, it's a little bit lengthy, but I want you to stay with me. This is maybe the, the best quote I've ever read uh, regarding this subject. Ravi says this, Modern pluralistic cultures are beguiled by the cosmetically courteous idea that sincerity of belief is all that counts and that the truth is subject to the beholder. In no other discipline of life can one be so naive to say that all religions are right and that it does not matter whether the claims are objectively true is catastrophic error in thinking. All religions are not the same. All religions do not point to God. All religions do not say that all religions are the same. At the heart of every religion is an uncompromising commitment to a particular way of defining who God is or is not and accordingly defining life's purpose. Anyone who claims that all religions are the same betrays a shocking ignorance of all religions. Every religion at its core is exclusive. Truth cannot be all-inclusive. Truth by definition excludes what? The false. The false. So there are 10,001 stupid things that Satan has been successful in marketing to uh, the human race, but I suspect he is proudest of counterfeiting God's revelation, counterfeiting Christianity. No doubt he's most proud of his handiwork in this regard, counterfeiting genuine, uh, biblically revealed Christianity. Satan has been breathtakingly successful in selling counterfeit gospels. From uh, brain-dead, heart-dead, works-based religiosity you find in Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy to the cotton candy, happy church, cheap grace, easy believism, name it and claim it genre of modern Protestantism. If, you, if you're biblically informed, you, you understand, you know it's true. Satan has co-opted much of what the world calls Christendom. We understand this if we understand our Bibles. Invariably, I see it all the time. The, the media will do a story on Christianity and you'll see a correspondent standing in Rome with St. Peter's Basilica behind him. And I always laugh to myself, what does Roman Catholicism have to do with biblical Christianity? What does it have to do with biblical Christianity? Actually, if you read what Roman Catholicism teaches, you understand that it's actually something altogether different than biblical Christianity. John MacArthur says it quite well, I think. He says, Roman Catholicism uses the Bible, but they don't really need it. They just make up their own stuff. Now let me talk about the Protestants. You, in the States, anytime you, you, you hear them talking about the largest Protestant church in America, they go to Houston, Texas, and they stand in front of Joe Osteen's church. Right? They stand in front of his church. And I laugh to myself. And I say to myself, what does psychobabble, self-esteem, prosperity gospel got to do with biblical Christianity? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. If you actually listen to Osteen and read his books, you readily understand that this is not a biblical expression of Christianity. It's quite obvious. It's altogether something else. It has very little to do with the Bible. Obviously, these 
Circumstances are not new. Satan has been counterfeiting Christianity from the very beginning. Uh, his counterfeits are in every book of the New Testament, Matthew through Revelation. The Holy Spirit uses the letters of Paul, Peter, John, James, Jude, and the writer of Hebrews to rebut the adversary's heresies. This fight against counterfeit Christianity is everywhere in the New Testament. Every book I have preached to you since I've been here, we have had to talk about this subject. The counterfeiting of Christianity. We know how God feels about it. He tells us in Galatians 1, anyone who preaches an adulterated gospel, anyone who preaches an edited gospel, a gospel that's been added to or subtracted from, what does God say clearly in Galatians chapter 1? Let that man be what? Accursed. Whether it be angel or man, let them be accursed if they preach any gospel other than my gospel. You know, God's not politically correct. <laughs> and you know, here's the deal. I get, I get accused sometimes of being too blunt or t preaching too bluntly, but you know what? If you're actually going to preach out of the Bible, you're going to have to be blunt because the Holy Spirit is unashamed to call a lie a lie. And if you're actually going to use the Bible and preach out of it, you have to, you have to, be, you have to be blunt. So we, know, we understand how God feels about it. He says, let that man be accursed. And we're going to hear tonight the Holy Spirit's going to say, if someone comes to you with a different gospel, they're dogs. They're evil workers. If they're adding to the gospel of grace, they're dogs and they're evil workers. You say, well, Jim, that's harsh. I know it's harsh. It's not my words. It's the words of God. So I want you to hear me tonight. Jim's not uh, off on a tangent. I'm just trying to preach the text. Okay? I'm just trying to preach the text. Trying to be, trying to be a good boy. Trying to earn my keep. So God hates it. Let me ask you, we've talked about it a lot in here. How's a real Christian, how's a Christian become a Christian? Is it by sacraments and ordinances and ceremonies and church membership and dogma and religious works and, and ultimately uh, making it through purgatory? Is that how a man becomes a Christian and is saved? What does the Bible say? How are we, how's, what, is the, what does the Bible say? We, are, we say this all the time. We are saved by grace, through faith, let me stop. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back. Because you have to say this word. If you don't say this word, you can get a lot of people to agree with you. But you must say, we are saved by faith alone. By faith alone. Grace alone in Christ alone, right? You have to say alone. Because if you don't say those words, there are, there are a multitude of people who will gather around you and say, oh yeah, I believe that. I believe that. You must say that we are saved by faith alone, by, by grace alone, in Christ alone. Verse 1 of chapter 3, Philippians. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. If my math is correct, this is the 11th time that we've seen the word joy or rejoice in the first couple of chapters of Philippians. We understand Paul's in prison. 
We've been talking a lot about that. I'm not going to review that again. His circumstances are not good. Caesar may execute him at any time, but Paul is not preoccupied with his circumstance. Paul is preoccupied with whom? The same person you're preoccupied with, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So circumstance really can't touch your joy. Really, right? It can't touch your joy. It can be a hard day, but it can't touch your joy. Your joy is not in circumstance. Your joy is in the resurrected God. Your joy is in Him. We are not preoccupied. Real Christians are not preoccupied with circumstance. We are preoccupied with the living God. And I'm just going to keep saying this to you. As long as we're in Philippians chapter 1, I'm just going to keep saying this to you. Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ what? Someone tell me. To die is gain. That's who you're supposed to be as a Christian. Every day you get up. I mean, you, you, might, you could just paint it on the, on the wall there, on the ceiling. And the first thing you see is, yes, Lord, today, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm just going to keep saying it to you. This is how Paul lived his life. You say, well, Jim, I'm not an apostle. I'm, I can't live like Paul. That's right, you're not an apostle. You have no hope of being an apostle. You'll never be an apostle, but you should be living like Christ. Pardon me, Paul. To live is Christ, to die is gain. This is how we're to live, beloved. This is how we're to live. This is how we're to live. And, I, and I'm just going to keep saying it to you. Remember what Paul said? He said, I'm hard-pressed. I'm hard-pressed. To stay is to, to have fruitful labor, but to go is to be with Jesus. I'm hard-pressed. He says to go would be very much better, right? That's how you feel, right? Beloved, we need to be hard-pressed. I want to say to you, if we're not hard-pressed, we've not understood. I want to say, we've not fully understood the Gospel if we're not hard-pressed. And we've not understood the unbelievable, jaw-dropping, breathtaking beauty of Christ Jesus and what it would mean to be standing in His presence. We've not understood it or appreciated it. If we're not hard-pressed as well. Paul says to, to live on is to be used fruitfully for my God, to serve my awesome God. To, 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 to die today would be to be with my awesome God. It's a win-win situation for Paul. And beloved, we should be thinking like this. This is how we should think. We should never not think like this. Blessing or trial, good day or bad, life or death, Paul was full of joy. We've been talking a lot about that. Verse 1, Paul says, to write the same thing again is no trouble to me. It is a safeguard to you. Paul says it's no trouble to remind you what, we've been, what I've talked to you about so many times, what I've written to, uh, to your sister churches. The book of Romans and Galatians were written uh, anywhere from five to three years earlier than the book of Philippians. This is public knowledge. Everybody knows what Paul has written in the book of Romans and Galatians. But Paul says, hey, I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to repeat what I've said to you many times. Not only that, it's a safeguard for you. Then Paul gets right down to it. Verse 2, he says, Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. Some of your tra translations will say, um, I think will say the mutilation or the false circumcision. When someone is adding or subtracting from the Gospel of Christ, Paul never sugarcoats it, does he? <laughs> he goes, bam! Dogs and evil workers. The Holy Spirit has prompted Paul to use 
I guess, the strongest possible language. Dogs and evil workers. It's what we said in Colossians over and over and over. People who want to add religion to uh, the biblical gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Anytime someone is adding or subtracting or spinning the gospel. Does anyone remember what I said ad nauseum in the book of Colossians? Anytime you see someone amending or editing the gospel, it's what? It's always wrong, right? It's always a lie, right? And where do all lies come from? The father of lies. It's demonic. Anytime someone's adding to the simple, pure gospel of grace, it is demonic. Jim, you're being quite strong, I know. I'm a preacher of God's Word. And so I don't worry about being politically correct. You know, it's like I've told you before, one of my old preachers said, man, you've got to preach with your bags packed. Because if they rise up and they rise up and they run you out on a rail, man, you just go to the next place that wants to hear what God has to say, right? So, yeah, that's a little personal information for you there. Um, Altered gospels, dumbed down gospels, amended gospels, edited gospels, amended, uh, yeah, amended gospels. They originate uh, uh, from the father of lies. They uh, come from the spirit of Antichrist. Jim, that's strong. Yes, it is. Uh, but look at the look what the Holy Spirit says through the pen of Paul. They, these guys are dogs. These guys who are adding to my gospel, God says they're dogs. They are evil workers. Notice the trilogy of warnings here. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the mutilization or the false circumcision. You know, the Holy Spirit's not trying to make us feel warm and fuzzy tonight, is He? He's just being honest with us. He's just being blunt with us. Now, Paul, of course, was a Jew. And a Jew, you know, a Jew couldn't call someone any, almost, it's almost the worst thing you could call someone is to call them a dog. We're not talking about, we're not talking about Rover and Fluffy, okay? We're not talking about beagles and, and chihuahuas and poodles. What we're talking about is a pack of ravenous, wild, uh, scavenging, undomesticated, unclean, dangerous dogs. That's what is being referenced here. To get some sense of how the Holy Spirit is using this word, you can go to Revelation 22.15 where the same Greek word is used for dog. Listen to what God says about those who will be outside the gates of the New Jerusalem. The word says outside are the dogs. Outside are the sorcerers, the immoral persons, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices lying. I thought that that lying there at the end was quite appropriate because that's what Paul's talking about. He says, hey, these guys are trying to add circumcision to the finished work of Christ. It's a lie. It's a lie. And anytime someone tries to add anything, any kind of religious activity to the finished work of Jesus Christ, it's a lie. It's always a lie. And it always has the same source 
So do you understand how God feels about this? Man, I want you to understand. You know, Karen and I have been here seven years, and you know, we've seen every kind, and we've talked to so many different kinds of denominate people from every conceivable denomination, and some that people have just, I'm convinced, have made up. And, and, and you know, people say, well, Jim, what you guys need to do is, is promote unity. It's got to be, you got to be about unity, man. You got to, so we can just all get along. You know, we have our differences, but all, let's all get along. Man, we want to get along. Karen and I want to have unity. We really do. We want unity, but never at the expense of truth, right? Amen. Truth comes first. God's Word comes first. We will not compromise on the Word of God. If I have three people in here, me and Karen and maybe one other, or 10,003 people in here, we're still going to preach the same message. What God says, if anyone comes to you with a different gospel, they are dogs and evil workers. Beloved, I hope you hear what God's saying. And I hope you go out there and you tell your friends. And we, we need to be bold. These are the last days. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? These are the last days. We need to be bold in the proclamation of the true gospel. ICM, we're very uncomplicated here. We just do the Bible. If it's in the Bible, we do it. If, we don't, if it's not in the Bible, we don't do it. That's it. And if God says... If someone adds to the gospel, they're a dog. I'm going to say, hey, if someone adds to the gospel, they're a dog. And they're an evil worker. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm just going to preach the text. And then you have to deal with the text. And you have to deal with God. And how um, you do that in your own life. The Bible is the Bible. It says what it says. It says some hard things. It calls truth, truth. It calls the lie, lie. It calls that which is demonic, demonic. And if you're going to call yourself the church of Jesus Christ, you need to be able to, you need to, be able to proclaim the Word. You need to be able to, to defend the truth. And that's what Paul is doing. He's defending the truth. Beloved, are you in the world defending the truth? Again, we all want unity. We all want to get along. We want to love everyone around us. We love the people around us, but we still hate the lie and we call it a lie. We don't attack the person. We attack the doctrine. We attack the lie. We love the person. We're not to be disagreeable with the person, but we do disagree with the lie. The lie. Very well. Who said that? Very good. All right. Yeah. That's good. Thank you. The lie. We all know the sad reality in Christianity today. Many who call themselves followers of Christ, they do not really accept the Word, nor do they live by it. Many prefer the traditions of men, and they prefer uh, philosophical subtleties, and they prefer political correctness over the Word of God. It reminded me of John chapter 6. You remember Jesus was saying some hard things, man. They, the crowds were loving Jesus, right? And they were just following Him. They were just thongs of people following Him. They did... He, yeah, they just loved him. Then he started talking. To, then he started giving them the, the truth, right? And you remember what they said? These words are too hard. And they what? They withdrew from him. Beloved, we see it all through Scripture. We've seen it all through the history of the church. Truth sometimes divides because some people hate the truth. 
And as, as John says, they went out from us because they were not of us, right? They went out from us because they were not of us. Some people will not stand for the truth. Even, those, even some who actually call themselves uh, Christians. So God is being blunt tonight. He says, beware of the dogs who add to, who amend, who alter, or who edit my truth. Beware of them. They are evil workers. It's the Word of God. The third warning in verse 2 uh, is a warning about the false circumcision. As, or again, as some of your Bibles may say, the, the mutilation or the mutilators. Uh, I like the message paraphrase here. It's, he called, Eugene Peterson called them knife-happy circumcisers. And so Paul is, is, is fighting this. We understand that circumcision was a sign of the old covenant between God and Abraham and the nation of Israel. We understand that. And the Jew got the physical circumcision right. He was very religious about it. He was very judicious about it. He, he, just, that, he got that outward thing right. But what did the outward circumcision point to? Was it, just about outward, was it just about fleshly circumcision or was there some other spiritual truth that was important there? What does God's Word say? Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 10, Deuteronomy 30, Jeremiah 4, Ezekiel 44. They talk about the circumcised heart. We talk about that in here all the time. Right? The circumcised heart. It's the born again heart. It's the born from above Heart, it's that surgery that God does, that the Spirit of God does within our hearts. The Jews had lost the meaning of what the circumcised flesh was pointing to. And they, it devolved into brain dead, heart dead, I'm going to check that box for God kind of religious stuff. And we know that in many places that that what is called Christianity has devolved into the same thing. It's just merely brain-dead ritual. Both in the Catholic Church, the Eastern Orthodox Church, and the Protestant Church. In many places, it's just become ritual. It's just brain-dead. Oh, I'll just do that. I'll check my box. That's my religious box. I'll check it. I know God is pleased. i check my box. We know that many places Christianity has devolved to that unfortunate Place, But what does God say about heart-dead religion? Both Old Testament and New Testament. Man, I could stand here till I fell over quoting text to you, but I know you don't want me to do that, and I won't do that. So I'll just pick, I picked one verse. It's the words of Jesus, but He's actually quoting Old Testament. He's quoting Isaiah. Uh, it's Matthew 15, 8 and 9. Jesus said, This people honors Me with their lips, but their heart is far from Me. In vain do they worship Me. They teach the, uh, as doctrines the precepts of men. How indicting is that? How indicting is that? God hates false, brain-dead, heart-dead religion. And this is the problem in Philippi and in other places where Paul went. These professed Christian Jews would come in behind Paul and they say, hey, that's great you got Christ, but you really can't be saved unless you're circumcised. So come on, I got my knife. You need to be circumcised or you can't be saved. This is what there's. Hey, you got to keep the law or you really can't be saved. 
you got to do the, the ceremonial stuff or you really can't be saved. And these guys would come in behind Paul who's just preaching pure grace. Right? How do we say it? By, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. This is, what, this is Paul's Gospel. This is the Gospel of God. But these guys would come in behind. And they say, no, you've got to do all this other stuff too. God says that. God says, those are dogs. That's the way a dog is. A dog is trying to, this wild dog, this wild dog of untruth is, he's trying to devour you with this, with this lie. We know that Paul has already written the book of Romans and the book of Galatians. He's dealt with this issue. We know that the first council in Jerusalem, the first church council described in Acts 15, has dealt with this issue. What did all the apostles and the elders decide? What? No, we're not going to lay circumcision on the Gentiles. That's not the true gospel. That's what they decided in Acts 15. But Paul's written in Romans. Listen to this, Romans 2, 28 and 29. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, neither is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, circumcised of the heart. Galatians 6.15 For neither is circumcision anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Obviously a reference to the born-again heart. Now you gotta, this, one is, this one is a very sobering warning here. Galatians 5.2 2 to 4, to anyone who trusts in anything other than the unmerited uh, uh, grace of Jesus Christ to save you. His finished work on the cross. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 5, 2 through 4. If you receive circumcision, Jesus Christ will be of no benefit to you. Right? If you're going to be a law keeper, you don't need Christ. If you're going to try to justify yourself, you don't need Christ. He goes on. You are now under the law. You've put yourself under the law. You are severed from Christ. If you're, if you're a religious do-gooder and you're you think your justification rests in your uh, religious do-gooding, you, you have severed yourself from Christ. Actually, the text goes on to say, you're seeking to justify yourself under the law. You have fallen from grace. Do you see how serious this is, beloved? Do you see why I'm not worried about being politically correct tonight? This is deadly serious. Uh, heaven and hell is in the balance. Heaven and hell is in the balance. These Judaizers were doing the same thing that Catholics have done, Roman Catholics, Eastern Orthodox have done, and, and some Protestants have done. They've added religion to the pure Gospel. We are saved... <clears throat> How? By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Always say alone. If you, if you, you, know, if you don't say that, uh, many people will jump on your bandwagon. But once you say alone, you'll set yourself off as the biblical, the biblical Christian. God says, if you're seeking to justify yourself through your own religious activity, you have cut yourself off from My Son. This is why God's using this strong language. He doesn't use this kind of language for no reason. He doesn't call people dogs for no reason. He doesn't call someone an evil worker for no reason. Do you understand what's at stake here, beloved? 
As I said, you know, people say to Karen and I all the time, well, we just need to worry about, you know, we just need to get along and not worry about our differences. Well, we want to get along and we don't care about the insignificant differences, but listen, uh, there are some differences that matter. <laughs> there are some differences that are non-negotiable. That's the message of, of, of grace. We're saved by faith alone. No, by grace alone. Through faith alone. In Christ alone. Basta. That's essential. If someone has a different gospel, God says, let them be accursed. How plain can it be? How plain can it be? Let them be accursed, God says. Let them be accursed. Verse 3, For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. I love this verse. MacArthur says, John MacArthur says, this is his favorite verse as of a description of a true Christian. We are the true circumcision. What does that mean? Our heart has been circumcised. God has taken out the heart of stone. He's put in that heart of flesh. We've been circumcised of heart. It's the work of the Spirit. It's the born again thing. God says, my children, they're not merely religious and they don't trust in all the religious trappings. They're not involved in counterfeit Christianity. My kids worship in the Spirit. My kids glory in my Son. My kids put no confidence in anything in the flesh. Beloved, when you boil it all down, there are only two systems of belief in the, in the whole world. It's either works, and every system is over here. Whether it's Hinduism or Buddhism or uh, Islam or Mormonism or uh, pseudo-Christianity, it's works. Christ Biblical Christianity stands by itself. It stands over here. It's by grace. It's by grace alone. Biblical Christianity is utterly unique in the world. There are only two belief systems in the world. You're either earning your way to God or God saved you by radical grace. That's the only two systems really in the world. Now, this, all this over here has 10,000 different names. But this one over here, it's about Jesus Christ and Him alone and Him crucified and what He did to save His people. Biblical Christianity stands... It stands alone. It's not about you coming to God. It's about God coming to you. It's not about you saving yourself. It's about God saving you. It's not about merit and works. It's about grace and mercy. It's not about man-made religion. It's about a God-made relationship. Biblical Christianity. God says, My children worship Me in the Spirit because I have given them My Spirit. It's not about outward religious conformity. It's really about knowing and loving Me. How does Jesus define eternal life? I've told you this many times. John 17.3 How does Jesus define eternal life? This is eternal life. Pardon me? That they may know Thee. Jesus is just praying to His Father. This is eternal life, Jesus says, that they may know Thee and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. That's Jesus', that's Jesus definition. So don't let anyone ever try to, you know, push a bunch of garbage on you. And say, oh, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to pray this, you got to pray that, you got to go there, you got to do this. 
You got to do this sacrament. You got to do this ordinance. You got to do this. You got to, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to do all. No! Jesus says, You need to know my Father. That's eternal life. You need to know me. You need to know me. This is the beauty of the, of the pure gospel, of the simple gospel. It's being in a real relationship with the living God. The truest thing about a true Christian is that he is a true worshiper. And that's what uh, is happening here. That's what Paul's talking about here in verse 3. He says, uh, he says, they worship in the Spirit and they glory in my Son. What does it mean to glory in Christ? What does it mean to glory in Christ? We delight in Christ. Amen? We delight in Christ. We give ourselves away to Christ. We magnify Christ in the world by doing the Word. If you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus says. That's what it means to glory in Him. And we really worship Him. Worship wells up in our hearts when we think about Him, when we pray to Him, when we talk to Him, when, we, when we're in, in church and we're singing to Him. The worship wells up. We love Him. We love Him. You know, my daughter asked me one time, as I've shared with you before, Dad, how do I, how do I explain to someone what, what it really means to be a Christian? And, and really, this is the simplest thing I can say. It's people come to me and say, well, how, am I a Christian? This, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. I said, well, I'm glad you did all that stuff. That's good. But do you love Him? Do you love Him? I mean, really. Do you love Him? Do you know Him? I mean, that's Jesus' irreducible, uh, irreducible uh, criterion. To know Him. Do you love Him? And do you know Him? God says, my kids put no confidence in the flesh. They only put confidence in my sovereign grace, in my finished work of atonement and redemption on the cross. That's what my kids trust in. They don't trust in religious performance. They trust only in me. We have no boast, right? Real, real Christians. You know, when you, get, when you get to talking about your faith and, and stuff, it's not, it's not really about us, is it? If we're, if we're talking biblically, it's not about us at all. It's about, it's about Christ Jesus. It's about the work He's done in us, right? We have no boast. I have no boast. What does Paul say? I have no boast. My boast is what? Christ Jesus. That's our boast. We don't boast about the pilgrimages we took or the, the beads we did or the candles we lit or, or, or the, the baptism I did or, or this or that or how many sermons I've preached. Our boast is Christ Jesus. Amen? Christ Jesus is our boast. Christ Jesus is our boast. Matthew Mead was a 17th century Puritan and he wrote a book with a funny name. The, the name of the book, I have it on my shelf, it's called... The Almost Christian Discovered. Do you, do you know the book? It's, yeah, it's, you probably don't. Only uh, yeah, a person like me would own it. Um, the point of the book is this. It shows that a person can be very, 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 very religious in a Christian sense and still be only an almost Christian. And, and that's what the whole book is about. That's what the whole book is about. I think... The whole book is summed up in chapter 4 with one quote. I'm just going to give it to you. No man was ever kept out of heaven for his confessed badness, though many are kept out of heaven for their supposed goodness. Amen? Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. 
Many, many will say to me, Lord, didn't I do all this cool stuff? And Jesus will say, what? I don't know who you are. It's about knowing and loving God. So beloved, I want you to understand. I want you to understand. This is a serious matter. You need, to, you need to be educated. You need to speak to this. You need to speak to pseudo-Christianity. You need to speak to false Christianity. You need to speak to it. and You need to, you need to be able to remind people that we are saved by grace, through faith, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's what God's saying to us tonight. So beware of the dogs and evil workers propagating a false gospel. And worship, God says, in uh, my spirit, glory in my Son, and put no confidence in the traditions and words and religion of men. You are saved by grace alone. We're going to, take, we're going to come to the Lord's table tonight. We have open communion here, so all who have professed Christ as Lord and Savior and followed Him in believers' baptism, you're, you're welcome to partake of the elements. Uh, the way we do this is uh, Kelvin will come and, and sing a song. So I want you to prepare your hearts. You know, Paul told the, warned the Corinthians, don't come to the table in an unworthy manner. So you prepare your heart. And why do we come to the table? Because it saves us? No. We come to the table. Why? What does Jesus say? That we might rejoice and remember. Remember and glory in Christ, as the text says tonight. Glory in the work He's done. So you prepare your heart to come and partake of the elements in a worthy manner. We'll play a song. Prepare your heart. During the song, come up. Take the, the bread and the cup. Go back to your seat. And after the song, I'll read a text. And then we will partake of the elements at that time. Okay? Prepare your hearts to celebrate the Lord's table.